I can get that thing to stay. We need a new clip. All right, I'll do it this way. Um, I love the testimony time because it does show that God is working among us. I think it's important for us to do that. I love that you are comfortable enough with each other to talk about the victories and talk about the struggles. Because there's a danger, always a danger, that when this faith is proclaimed, it's proclaimed in an ideal state. And people think that everything just turns into a miracle. And then all of a sudden... When the life is tough and they're struggling and they're having doubts, they think they're not really believers. But it's the one who has no doubts and the one who has no struggle who's probably not a believer. Those of us who are believers are struggling with God and with other people, struggling against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And that struggle is because we do trust and we do believe in the Lord. So, we're at the end of the book of Romans. And uh, in the first section, I said that Paul explains... God's purpose in salvation for Israel and the nations. He really explains that both Israel and the Gentiles are sinners. They're all sinners. And so there is a problem. Because the Torah, which is not bad, it's good. It, it's, it's excellent. It's holy, Paul says. But what the Torah can't do is save us. And the reason it can't save us is because there is another law, the law of sin and death that's in our flesh, that keeps us from being able to meet those standards of God. So Paul talks about a righteousness of faith versus a righteousness of obedience. A righteousness of faith that Abraham had, who believed that God was, he believed him, and he believed that God would do what he said. And that was counted to him for righteousness. And so Abraham becomes the father of the Jews who through the covenant with circumcision obey God. And the Gentiles, the God-fearers who come to God in obedience not to save themselves but out of gratitude for the one who has brought his grace to them. Paul goes through great uh, uh, pains to explain that. And he says, because he has died and risen, we read that earlier today, uh, we need to reckon ourselves as dead. Dead to this world, dead to our flesh, dead to Satan, so that we are alive unto God. And in that struggle, we begin to walk in obedience. Not perfect obedience, but we know what our intent is. Our intent is to walk with God. A lot of Christians believe that Jesus died to get rid of the law. Paul's very clear. He got rid of the law of sin and death that was in our flesh, not the Torah. He says we don't get rid of the Torah. We establish the Torah. So there's a real misunderstanding here. And then Paul talks about this struggle that Israel has with believing the gospel. Some of them, he says, are ignorant and therefore try to establish their own righteousness according to the law. Others are aware that they need God's grace and His mercy. But he does tell us that Israel has been in part blinded, in part hardened, for the sake of us Gentiles. And that as we come into the fulfillment of the Gentiles, then, Paul says, all Israel will be saved. We don't fully understand that, but it's very important that we not boast against those natural branches. And that's why Paul gives that that warning. 
So we're to live by presenting ourselves to God as holy sacrifices. We are to uh, present ourselves to obey God in love. Loving God, loving our neighbor, loving one another. We're to live at peace with all men. As much as it depends on us. And we're not to seek our own vengeance. But overcome evil with good. And allow for God's wrath. He is the judge. We're to accept one another in the beloved. Without judging each other. Even though we have different opinions. About what's right and wrong. And exactly how we walk in this life. We're to accept each other as brothers and sisters. Because judging is not our job. That's his job. And if. We judge another man's servant. We become a judge of both the Torah and of God in that context. So, Paul does tell us to watch out for one thing. Don't trip each other up. Don't cause each other to stumble. Don't let your freedom and what you're able to do cause you to cause another brother who's weaker in the faith to stumble in that context. We got through all of that and we got to chapter 15 and I got to verse 7. And so I'm finally picking up at verse 8. I needed to do a little review so you remember. Because I know you've slept since we've had the last message. right? So we're going to pick it up at uh, Romans chapter 15 verse 8. Paul says, For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the Father. I want you to pay attention to that. The reason Yeshua, Jesus, Jesus, whatever term you want to use, the reason he came is to become a servant to the circumcision. That is to Israel. Circumcision in the sense that they have the faith of Abraham, they trust God, and they are struggling to, to uh, trust his promises in the midst of a context that that seems to deny those promises. But he says, he's confirming the promises to the Father. The fathers are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That promise of the land, that promise of being a blessing to all the nations, all of those promises, those are not done away with. The New Testament didn't come along to say, we're getting rid of the Old Testament, we're going to start over because that didn't work. No, he comes first and foremost to Israel to confirm those promises. God who promised those will surely bring them to pass. That's why I believe there's a kingdom to come. And that's why the traditional view of all millennialism just writes Israel out of the picture. And that's simply not true. All of the promises that are found in the scriptures will be fulfilled. And then he says this in verse 9. And for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy. So he is a servant to the circumcision to confirm all the promises. But he's also for the Gentiles in order that we would be those who glorify God for his mercy, for his grace, for his love. And now Paul's going to give us several texts that he is he believes show this, that, that God has always been working in Israel for the benefit of the nations. He's not abandoning Israel. He's working for Israel to the blessing of the nations. And the first one he does is in Psalm 18. So let's take a look. He says, uh, 
As it is written, therefore I will give praise to you among the Gentiles, and I will sing to your name. So what, what's he talking about? Well, let's take a look at Psalm 18. A little bit of a um, Bible drill this morning. In Psalm 18, verses 46 to 50. The psalmist says, The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation. This is David talking. The God who executes vengeance for me and subdues people under my feet. He delivers me from my enemies. Surely you will lift me above those who rise up against me and rescue me from the violent men. Therefore I will give thanks to you among the nations. His praise is not just within the house of Israel. His praise will also be among the nations. Um, and I will sing praises to your name. He gives great deliverance to his king and shows loving kindness to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. And of course, the primary descendant of David that matters is the Messiah, son of David, which is our Lord. So, Paul is saying, this is not new. There's not something new going on here in that sense. This is what God has been promising all along. So then we go back to Deuteronomy where, well, he says, uh, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let the people praise him. So we've got to take a look at that. So look at, with me at Deuteronomy chapter 32. I don't have to say this in this congregation but I often say to people when I speak about the Torah, I say, that's the section of your Bible that still looks new. You know, you might want to get in there and take a look at that, right? Deuteronomy 32. Verse 35 to 43. So he says, Vengeance is mine and retribution. Remember, Paul's been saying, don't take your own vengeance. Leave room for the wrath of God. Vengeance is mine and retribution. In due time their foot will slip. For the day of their calamity is near. And the impending things are hastening upon them. The Lord will vindicate his people. He's talking about Israel. And will have compassion on his servants. Uh, when he sees that their strength is gone. And there is none remaining. Bond or free. He will say where are their gods. The rock in which they sought refuge, who ate the fat of the sacrifices and drank the wine of the drink offering. Let him rise up and help you. In other words, Israel will come fully back to the Lord. Indeed, verse 40, I lift up my hand to heaven to say as I live forever, I will sharpen my flashing sword and my hand takes hold on justice. I will render my adversaries, I will repay those who hate me. I will make my arrows drunk with blood, my sword with devoured flesh, and the blood of the slain and the captives from the long-haired leaders of the enemy. Rejoice, O nations, with his people. Notice the Gentiles are going to rejoice in that culmination of Israel coming into fruition. For he will avenge the blood of his servants and render vengeance on his adversaries and will atone for the land and his people. The atonement is, I, I remember when I first heard about Pentecostals and they would say, healing's in the atonement. There are a lot of things in the atonement. But I'll tell you two things that are in the atonement. The promised land and Israel. And part of that atonement on the cross is for their benefit in that sense. And Paul just 
once it clear that God is working among Israel and, he's, and this is to the praise of the Gentiles who will see his mercy. Now he goes on, if we go back to chapter 15, uh, and he says, now as Isaiah says, verse 12, there shall come uh, the root of Jesse, and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles shall hope. Well, where's that coming from? Well, that's coming from Isaiah chapter 11. So let's go to Isaiah chapter 11. When Paul writes these letters, he's assuming people know their their Bible. He's just quoting a, a verse so that you know the context. So I'm trying to give you the context for that. So in Isaiah chapter 11... Here's what we hear. Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse. Jesse, that Jesse, the father of David, right? And a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. Spirit of counsel and strength. Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what his eyes see. Nor make a decision by what his ears hear. But the righteous, he will. Ju- but in righteousness, he will judge the poor and decide for fairness for the afflicted of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. The righteous will be uh, be the belt about his loins, and faithfulness the belt about his waist. The wolf will dwell with the lamb, meaning. The lamb won't be inside the wolf, right? They'll eat together. The leopard will lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together. Little boy will lead them. A cow and a bear will graze. They'll be vegetarian. The young will be down to uh, will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw just like the ox. The nursing child will play on the hole of a cobra, and the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den, and they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the nations, the Gentiles, will resort to the root of Jesse, who will stand as a signal for the people, and his resting place will be glorious. He says, if you keep reading, that it will happen on that day that the Lord will again recover the second time with his hand and the remnant of his people will remain from Assyria, Egypt, Pathos, Cush, Elam, Shinar, Hamar, and from the islands of the sea. In other words, he's going to regather his people. And he will lift up a standard for the nations and assemble the banished ones of Israel and will gather the dispersed of Judah and the four corners of the earth. Now everybody likes to read that first part because that's about the kingdom to come when Jesus returns. But I want you to see it's focused on Israel. The nations rejoice at it in that context. Those nations are going to say, come, let us go up. It's First part of Isaiah. Let us go to the house of the Lord, to the God of Jacob. And he will teach us his ways. For the law shall go forth from Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. That's talking about the future. That's talking about the kingdom that's going to come. And the knowledge of the Lord will be all over the earth. Now, back in... uh, Chapter 15, 
Paul now wants to bless the readers. So in verse 13 he says, Now may the God of hope, really important to understand what hope means. Hope does not mean, I wish, I wish, I wish. I hope, I hope, I hope. In the Bible, a hope is a promise made by someone. And if you trust them to keep the promise, that's called faith. God makes the promise. We trust him because he's faithful that he will keep his word. He doesn't need our help. He will keep his word. Get in trouble sometimes when we try to help him out. So he says, the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in trusting. So that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Really a great blessing. That's something we ought to write, put on our walls. Verse 14 through 16. So Paul says, Now concerning you, my brethren, I myself am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to admonish one another. But I have written very boldly to you on some points, so as to remind you again because of the grace that was given to me from God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God, so that my offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now what Paul's saying here is these Roman believers... Remember, he's writing to a church that he didn't establish. When he writes to the Corinthians or Thessalonians, he's talking to churches that he began. He's got authority over them, but he won't take it. But because he knows he's the apostle to all the nations, he wants to have fruit among Rome as well. And so he's writing to them and he says, I know you guys have enough. That you can admonish one another and encourage one another, but I want to still exercise my calling as the apostle to the Gentiles so that you will grow in grace and in knowledge. In verse 17, he says, Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in the things pertaining to God. I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and round about as far as uh, Ericum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And I have aspired to preach the gospel not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. Paul's very careful that he doesn't want to come in where somebody's already uh, laid the establishment and then just moves in, takes over, and takes credit. He's going to move into new areas. And this is why Paul becomes the model for most Christian uh, missions that happens. He's uniquely the minister to the Gentiles, and he is offering them as a sacrifice to God. And he's already covered most of the Western, uh, I mean the Eastern Roman Empire, and even some of the West, and so he's now willing to say, you know, I can, uh, I can now talk to you where the name of Christ is already there, uh, because I've reached those areas where he was not known by name. And he ties this, into a verse. 
So in verse 21 he says, As it is written, Those who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. Where's he getting this? He's getting this from the book that I call the gospel in the Older Testament. The book of Isaiah, chapter 52. So let's, one more little run over here. Isaiah 52. Verse 13. Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. Just as many were astonished at you, my people, so his appearance was marred more than any man, his form more than the sons of man. Thus he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him. For what has been told them, they will see, and what has not, they have not heard, they will understand. And this is, the, this is the entrance into the suffering servant chapter of Isaiah 53. That the Messiah is coming for the salvation of Israel to take away the sin of Jacob. But it's going to spill over, as he promised Abraham, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So, Paul's got no new places and he's going to come to the Romans. But he has something he has to do first. And I want you to look at that. This is really an important, I think, something for us. We're doing it somewhat as a congregation. I think we need to do more. Isaiah, uh, I mean Romans 15, verse 25. He says, but now, well, I need to pick it up. Verse 23. But now, having no further place for me in these regions, and since I have had for many years a longing to come to you, whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing, and to be helped on my way there by you, when I first enjoyed your company for a while. Paul wants to fellowship with him. He doesn't just want to preach to him. He wants to enjoy them because they are maturing as believers. And uh, when you are, when you're, well, you guys know this, your parents. When the kids are really little, they're a lot of work. When they're older, they can be irritating, but they're not that much work, right? They can, they can participate and they can help in that kind of thing. And he wants to be among believers who have some maturity so he can be reinforced and comforted by them as well. He says, but now I'm going to Jerusalem serving the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. I want you to listen to verse 27. Yes, they were pleased to do so, and they are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them in their material things. When I finish this and I put my seal on this fruit of theirs, I will go on my way to Spain, which is why he's planning to do that so that he wouldn't come to them. Well, what is Paul talking about? He's talking about an offering that he took from the Gentile churches for the poor Jews who believed in Yeshua in Jerusalem. Many of them were removed from their synagogues. Many of them removed from their families. Many of them suffering uh, 
with the, the sufferings of Messiah in their own life. And Paul says, you've received the blessings when the gospel came to you. You owe them to, to help them and to take care of them. Now, what's he talking about? Two passages. First one is 1 Corinthians chapter 16. He says, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have directed in the churches of Galatia, you do as well. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he prospers, so that no collection were made when I come. When I arrive, whomever you approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it is fitting for me to go also, I will go with them. But I will come to you after I go through Macedonia, for I'm going to Macedonia. Now this verse is on almost every offering envelope in every traditional church. Lay aside on the first day of the week. And they always talk about it being the tithe. It's not the tithe. This is an offering. They were worshiping on Shabbat in the synagogues because the churches hadn't separated from their... They had in Corinth, there were some places where it was... But they were still observing Shabbat in the way they did their weekly worship. And what Paul says, on the first day of the week, Sunday, when you're setting your week in order, look at your finances, and if you've got some money that can be used for this purpose, tzedakah for the Jews in Jerusalem, you set that aside. So that when I come, we don't have to collect it. I'll just take it, take the people that you want, we'll send it to them, and we'll take care of the poor in Jerusalem. Now, Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Verse 1. It is superfluous for me to write to you about this ministry to the saints. For I know your readiness, which I boast about you to the Macedonians, namely that Achaia has been prepared since last year. And your zeal has stirred up them. Boy, when they found out that that church was going to give, they're not leaving us behind, we're going to give too. Right? But I have sent the brethren in order that our boasting about you may not be made empty in this case, so that as I was saying, you may be prepared. Otherwise, if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to speak of you, will be put to shame by this confidence. So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead to you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift so that the same would be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. And then he talks about the one who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. All of this is in the context of Gentile believers taking care of Jewish believers who are suffering. That's a major part of Paul's ministry to the Gentiles. Now, you know we've had Rabbi Shipman here and the work that he's doing with uh, Holocaust victims in Ukraine. And we've, we put some money to get a, uh, a container, big container in Jerusalem. And I think we need to do more of that. I think we need to be able to say we have received the spiritual blessings of Israel and we need to help them in that context. I believe that Zedekah, though, isn't done through big organizations. 
is done through small organizations and individual people because that's what Paul's. Let's make sure that the people that we're giving it to, it gets to the people that need it and not being used covetousness by you not giving it or covetousness by other people uh, absconding with it. So that's an important part of, of, I think, our ministry, and I'm going to be talking to you more about that as time goes on. But it lent itself perfectly here in the, uh, in the Roman letter, so I thought I'd pick that up. So now, back to Romans. We'll conclude this chapter. Um, I'm doing okay. So his final words in this chapter are, uh, verse 29, he says, I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea, And that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints. So that I I may come to you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. There's There's something here that I think is between the words. Paul knows that as he tries to get the Gentiles to bless Israel... That there will be resistance from the disobedient in Judea. But there's going to be a resistance from the evil one. I've had a lot of people ask me about my life. And as I talk about the things that I've gone through, a lot of my messianic friends attribute many of my struggles that aren't my fault. The ones that are my fault, they attribute to me. The ones that aren't my fault, they attribute it to my being pro-Israel. I don't mean the nation Israel, I mean the people of Israel. I believe that that's incumbent upon every believer. Our debt of, uh, of gratitude, not only to God for His grace, but that His grace came through Israel, and that as we are grafted in and as we participate in that framework that we are supposed to bless them in that context. After all, God said to to Abraham, those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. I think we need to be more practical about it. Uh, But Paul makes it clear that prayer and finances go together. He says, pray for me. He's not even asking for the gifts. He wants the money to go to them and pray for me because I have to facilitate this. I really think we need to be in prayer for leaders around the world who are ministering to Israel, particularly in the Messianic movement. We've lost a lot of them in the last year. Um, Some dying of old age and some dying from disease. Uh, There just is a, a sense in the Messianic community of, of, a, of a sense of loss. I think we need to fill in that gap in prayer and in financial help. So, Paul's last words of the content is for them to pray for him. Uh, he wants to be rescued from the disobedient and that his offering by the Gentiles to Israel will be acceptable 
to the Jews in Jerusalem. A lot of times when you try to bless Israel and you're a Christian, they're not so sure about us. We've got a history that they think we're just trying to make them not be Jews anymore. You know, we want to make them Baptists. The last thing I want to make a Jewish person is a Baptist. Okay? What I want is for them to see their Messiah. And to, and to see that my care for them is not to manipulate them. But I long for the restoration of Israel and the fulfillment of all the promises that God made. And I want to see that. And I want to participate in seeing that move forward. And that's really what this is about. So, the last chapter is going to be fun because it's mostly Paul talking to people and saying hi. And I almost thought about leaving alone, but I think what I'm going to do next time is I want to use that to show you how important a relational community is. You guys, when you testified today, you weren't testifying about the service. What a great service we have. You were testifying about the people who are in your lives and are ministering one to another. And that's what this faith is about. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask God that you would help us to approximate it, help us to grow in grace and in knowledge. Help us, Lord, as a Gentile congregation to be a blessing to Israel, the Israel of God, and, and know that we are, we are worshiping the God of Israel. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to love one another uh, more than we do now. Uh, you have blessed us in doing that. Help us to continue to do that. We ask it all in the name of your Son. Amen. All right, Q&A. Yes, I think you got to go there because the camera's on. <laughs> He'll bring it to you. We only do that because of the internet. It's not. We're not being Oprah. I just wanted you to. Um, you read verse thirteen mm-hmm. uh, of chapter fifteen. You changed something. Can you say it how you said it again? Well, unless I missaid it. No, you didn't missay it. You were explaining. Okay. Verse 13. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. I said trusting. Yeah, I, I, I'll tell you why I said that. Um... The Greek word for faith, pistis, is not a word that means believe in this simple sense. Okay? I believe today is Sunday. That might affect my behavior. It might not affect my behavior. That's not the essence of the faith. And so somebody years ago used an illustration. Uh, do you believe this chair can hold you? Yeah, I believe it can hold me. So what? You, you don't demonstrate that you believe it until you sit in the, in the chair. Now I broke the mic, right? Right? Now I believe. Not only, but I believe it to the point that I behave in accordance with that belief. I think trusting is a better word. And if I was in charge of the translations, and I'm not, I just get to help. 
we would translate that word trust more. We trust the Lord. Yeah, David Stern put it in there because he didn't have a committee. He was able to just do it. But there's no Bruce Stokes edition, right? Uh, but, but I think he's right about that. So trust, uh, trust is really the issue. It's trusting the Lord, not believing the Lord. It's believing what he says. It's trusting what he says. That's why the um, uh, Amplified Bible, the lady that translated that, when she got there, she said that, that faith is whoever believes in, trusts in, clings to, relies on him, shall not perish. Because she was given the, the, the nuances of the, of the Greek there. And I think that's really important. It's very important. I believe that, that uh, uh, George Washington was our first president. That's not faith. Faith is a deeper trust that the one who promised will keep his word. So that's why I said trust instead of believing. Um, when we're speaking about um, Israel versus the nations, um, I, while interacting with 99.9% the nations, right, um, I am very specific um, and will actually make corrections when people speak about what they think we do here, right? And, and um, you know, we smashed the cup at our wedding and things like that and have a mezuzah in our house and we celebrate the feasts with the shadows of the Messiah in them. And, um, and they'll say, well, I didn't know you were Jewish or, like, do you go to a messianic congregation yeah. or things like that? And... I just had someone approach me um, who is a dear friend, but we have some really, like, a couple of differences in our faith. Um, but it's a beautiful friendship because we look at what we have the same. Um, and she was saying, you know, I wanted to learn more about your Messianic congregation and, and that. And I was like, well... Um, we're Judeo-Christian. And she was like, I knew I was going to say something dumb. And I'm like, no, 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 I just, I almost didn't correct you. I just wanted to be very specific about who we are. And I just wanted to share that, like, when people ask me, you know, I didn't know you're Jewish or are you Jewish or things like that, that I say, basically I make the distinction that Messianic Jews are Jews who believe that Christ is the Messiah. And we are Judeo-Christians who we are Gentiles who still believe that Israel are the people of God. Like, would that be a correct distinction? Yeah, I, the, way I, the way I put it, and this is a serious problem. I mean, I've been involved in the movement so long, every once in a while I get introduced as rabbi, right? <laughs> um, there are only two groups that think I'm Jewish. Jews and Christians, right? <laughs> the, that's a struggle. Here's what we're trying to do. We're trying to come alongside of Israel. That means that there has to be some overlap in what they do and what we do. Mm -hmm. The difference is, and uh, Rabbi Dowerman has tried to explain this to many people and, and has the same problem. Mm -hmm. What we do is handle, so for example, we, ha we treat the Torah with respect. Mm -hmm. We didn't do what would happen in the synagogue where they would bring it around and people would 
touch it and, and do that. We do that once a year so that you guys know what that experience is. Mm-hmm. I don't want to handle Jewish things in an inappropriate way. Mm-hmm. Because our role is to provoke them to jealousy, not to anger, mm-hmm. right? And so what happens is we, we have enough of their stuff that when Jewish people come into the congregation and go, oh, I know what you're doing, mm-hmm. right? And some more secular Jews go in and go, oh, I miss that, mm-hmm. right? And that's what we're after. Mm-hmm. So we're not trying to be Jewish, yeah. but this faith, has its roots in Judaism. Mm. And I think the split between Judaism and Christianity is uh, problematic and somewhat artificial. Mm-hmm. Um, there, but there is a difference, and Paul's very clear, that a Jewish believer and a Gentile believer are not going to be exactly 100% the same. Mm-hmm. Because if that's true, then God's only saving Jews or only saving non-Jews. Sure. But he's the God of Israel and the God of the nations. Mm -hmm. And therefore, we have to find a way that we walk in parallel to each Mm -hmm. other. So Mm -hmm. I tell people that we are Christians who are heavily influenced by the Older Testament as its foundation. Mm -hmm. And by Judaism as it's expressed that. Because in much of the 